The Pittsburgh Steelers are 2-6 and and having one of their worst seasons since the 1970s. They've been here before, though. And each time they've finished at or close to 500. What hope do the Steelers have for turning around their season in the second half? And where does that hope lie? I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. Welcome to the cutting room floor. I don't think anyone's going to disagree with me that the Steelers have been pretty awful so far this season, and especially on offense, where they are the lowest scoring team in the NFL on a per-drive basis. They average fewer points per possession than any other team in the NFL. And that's before you take out defensive points. The Pittsburgh Steelers are dreadful on offense. But heading into the second half, I want to look at not just why the Steelers are dreadful. I don't want to look at that. We've done that. We talked about that last week. We've talked about that a lot this year. Uh, I want to talk about where the hope lies for the Steelers to be better coming out of their bye week. First half of the show here, we're going to talk about offense. And the offense has, in my opinion, by far the most room for improvement. But there's also real hope for that improvement. And we're going to start with the offensive line. So far this season, the offensive line has been healthy and they've played well. They have their weaknesses. Key ones being they don't have a single offensive lineman who is really able to handle going one-on-one with high-end, top-tier defensive tackles, especially the real ones who are very strong, very power game-oriented. Those guys tend to crush the pocket against the Steelers. That's a problem. Not a lot of hope for that. The hope in this offensive line lies with their overall health and improvements. They've, they've played well together. They're executing well together, and they have familiarity with each other. Now, with half a season where the offensive uh, starting five on the offensive line have missed a grand total of five snaps, I'm going to knock on wood and cross my fingers here a bit that I didn't just jinx them. But I think they are kind of a stabilizing force and one of the better units on this offense. And I think they can continue to be that. That's where we start. With the offensive line not really being a negative, not being a big positive. This is nowhere close to the 2004 offensive line or the offensive lines we saw in the 2014, 15, 16, 17 season when the Steelers offense was doing very well. Not on par with those lines at all. But they're a good offensive line. They're a solid enough offensive line. Average to above average is where I would rank them. Among the around the NFL. One of the where places improvement could come is in the run game. With an offensive line that's doing pretty solidly and a week off, a little bit of extra rest time for Najee Harris, who appears to be getting a little healthier as the season goes on and appears to be playing a little better, there's hope we could see a better Najee Harris in the second half of this season. With that, I think we could also see balancing it a larger role for Jalen Warren. After the bye week, the Steelers traditionally take uh, rookies who weren't starters in week one or you know main players early in the season and give them an increased workload. This is the time where we could see Jalen Warren take a bigger role in this offense. 
He has much better per snap and per touch uh, numbers than Najee Harris. And splitting those roles more evenly, I think, would be a big boost to this offense. And if Najee is getting healthier and playing better, I think a limited role, limited carries, could go a long way to getting him back faster, having him improve, and the Steelers having a legit two running back pair would go a long way to improving this offense. With the Chase Claypool trade, the wide receiver position gets worse. But not much worse. They're less depth, but it's not like they were a real strength of the offense to begin with. They're arguably the team's worst position overall, uh, production-wise. It's 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 pretty clear. It's the wide receivers, especially when you bring into a, into account efficiency. Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson led the team in snaps for wide receivers, and you may find this interesting. But when you combine their numbers, Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool, you look at their total yards and their total targets. They have a worse yards per target number than if you combine Najee Harris and Jalen Warren. When your running backs are gaining more yards per target than your top two wide receivers by playtime, targets, you have a problem. Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool are number one and number two in total targets on the Steelers roster. When you combine their yards together and divide it by their combined targets, you get a worse number than what you get from Najee Harris and Jalen Warren. That's terrible. Chase Claypool had 6.2 yards per target. Deontay Johnson, 4.9. Not good. Not good at all. The Steelers got rid of Chase Claypool. But the numbers for Deontay Johnson, the targets and the production they're getting with that, especially when you look at, again, under five yards per target and zero touchdowns total. When you get no touchdowns and less than five yards per target from a receiver... You're sitting there saying, okay, well, that receiver, you know, that's bad enough. That that player should just be replaced. When that player is Deontay Johnson, who has so many of the team's targets. The second place is, is Chase Claypool with 50. Deontay Johnson has 76. That means he has more than a 50% increase in targets than the next receiver on this team. And he is one of the worst at efficiency on this team. He's one of the least efficient receivers. It's worse when you look specifically at Kenny Pickett and Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson, when he's targeted by Kenny Pickett, is significantly worse than when he's been targeted by Mitch Trubisky. His catch rate between Kenny Pickett and Deontay Johnson is 53.8%. Now, when you consider that Kenny Pickett completes 68% of his passes overall, 
and only 53.8% to Deontay Johnson. That's awful. That's awful. Also, they average 8.2 yards per catch when they actually complete a pass. When Kenny Pickett completes a pass to Deontay Johnson, he averages 8.2 yards gained. Kenny Pickett's yards per completion total is 8.6. So Deontay Johnson has a lower yards per catch than the average receiver from Kenny Pickett and a much lower completion percentage than Kenny Pickett averages. That combined, he's at 4.4 yards per attempt when Kenny Pickett throws to Deontay Johnson. He also leads the team by a good number in the number of times he is targeted that ends up an interception from Kenny Pickett. That pairing... Kenny Pickett to Deontay Johnson is crushing the Steelers' offense. It is absolutely crushing the offense's production. You cannot produce well when you have a slightly above 50% chance of gaining eight yards when you throw to your number one receiver and a guy the Steelers just invested a lot of money in. More money than the other starters on offense. Now, Pickett and Johnson didn't get a chance to play together before Pickett took over as a starter. They really didn't play much in the preseason together, practices. With the bye week, hopefully they can improve that. It wouldn't take a lot to be better there. The numbers are terrible. The numbers are abysmal. They're not sustainable numbers. That's got to be worse. It's got to improve. It has to. You have to imagine it's going to improve. Otherwise, like, where does this offense go? When your number one receiver and your number one quarterback are just absolutely terrible together. With the trade of Chase Claypool, there's more focus on Deontay Johnson, but also on George Pickens. And George Pickens and Kenny Pickett have been the absolute opposite of Kenny Pickett and Deontay Johnson. Now, Pickens has received significantly fewer targets. Deontay Johnson has a greater than 50% increase from George Pickens on on number of targets from Kenny Pickett. But he's caught 68% of his 25 targets, whereas Deontay Johnson's caught 53.8% of his 39. Meaning Deontay Johnson only has four more receptions on 14 more targets than George Pickens. George Pickens from Kenny Pickett has over 50 yards more receiving than Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson is actually number one in targets by a good margin, but number three in total yards from Kenny Pickett. George Pickens is number one in yardage. Pickens has caught 68% of his targets from Kenny Pickett for an average of over 13 yards per catch, Meaning when you look at George Pickens and Kenny Pickett, their average yards per target is 8.92. That's very close to 9 yards per target. 9 yards per target is all pro territory. That's Antonio Brown territory. Those are elite producers. 
when every time you're targeted, you average nine yards, that means you throw to that receiver. You are most of the time going to end up with a first down. That's the kind of receivers that are true number one elite receivers. George Pickens and Kenny Pickett have those numbers in a reduced number of targets. As those target numbers start to climb, we will likely see the yards per target drop as he becomes more of a focus, as the defense focuses more attention on him. That's normally how it goes. It, it, it goes every every career goes like that. You get ridiculous yards per target. You earn more targets. That number comes down. But at 8.9, that number can come down and still be very good, still be better than the other options this offense has. George Pickens is a big key to the Steelers' second half and any hope they have of improvement. Another key is the tight end position. The Steelers, so far this season, have averaged more than 2.7 receivers per snap. Uh, It's right around 2.75, which means roughly 75% of the time the Steelers have three receivers or more on the field. And only one in four snaps do they have two or fewer receivers. When you consider that the wide receivers are some of the least productive players, outside of George Pickens, the wide receiver position is the least productive position on the field, that could be a good thing. Steven Sims has shown some ability to do things when he's on the field. Uh, He's shown some sparks. He will get a bigger chance as a slot receiver. But also, I expect to see more two tight end sets. And that could mean more Pat Fryermuth in the slot. You can line up, get more linebackers on the field, put Zach Gentry in the normal tight end spot, and put Pat Fryermuth out as a wide receiver, where he has had success. He had success like that last year, quite a lot of it. He did really well when he went out in the slot and also out wide where he would put another receiver in the slot and he would be the widest receiver. They threw to him in those situations against top tight end, against top cornerbacks, and he was just bigger and stronger and went up and took the ball. He scored touchdowns against top against starting cornerbacks last year. Pat Fryermuth could be a serious option for getting more snaps out wide and in the slot. That would mean more snaps for Zach Gentry or Connor Hayward. They are both producing better than the wide receivers the Steelers have. In fact, if you take the Steelers and you sort their team by yards per target, three of the top four are the tight ends. The four top players on the Steelers for yards per target are George Pickens, Pat Fryermuth, Zach Gentry, and Connor Hayward. Those are your four top guys for yards per target. Even if you discount Connor Hayward on the fact that I think he has six total targets, three, no, two of the top three are, are Pat Fryermuth and Zach Gentry. Those guys produce on a per target basis more than the wide receivers outside of George Pickens have. So the idea of the Steelers going to a two-eyed tight end set 
being a problem or hurting their offense really doesn't hold water because they've been more productive than those three of Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, and George Pickens. When you combine the three of them, they are significantly less productive than Pat Fryermuth, Zach Gentry, and Connor Hayward on a per-target basis. So improving, increasing the number of snaps that you see a Connor Hayward or a Zach Gentry will not only free up Pat Fryermuth to move outside more, potentially help the run game, And the fact that if you are putting in defensive backs to cover Pat Fryermuth because you realize you can't cover him outside with a linebacker, the Steelers are going to run on you. It's it's one of those great situations when you have multiple tight ends that are talented and hard to cover where if the other team puts in linebackers to stop the run against your tight ends, you simply spread them out and pass the ball. If the other team puts in defensive backs to help stop your passing attack with your with your talented tight ends, you simply bunch them up closer and run the ball. You take the advantages you get, and a Pat Fryermuth creates mismatches. We'll see how much Connor Hayward, I've talked uh, before about the increase rookies see after the bye week on the Steelers. We're already seeing the Steelers commit to a greater role for George Pickens. Could we see more Connor Hayward in the second half? as a better blocker and also a harder person to cover. We'll see how he does. We'll see how he improves. But Zach Gentry is simply a blocking tight end and a situational target isn't bad either. He's caught 11 of his 10 targets uh, from Kenny Pickett for 52 yards. That's not bad. It's not long range. But he also has four first downs on those targets. That's that's not bad. That's solid production. That's more than that's honestly better production than he's been getting with Deontay Johnson. So more Zach Gentry might not be a you know create a high-powered offense, but it could still be better than having a three wide receiver set, and a large part because it frees up Pat Fryermuth to be a harder target to cover. Allows him to move around more. The big hope here is that Kenny Pickett and Deontay Johnson can get something going. That has to happen. If that doesn't happen, then you have really messed up Kenny Pickett's rookie season. The other thing is you have to get the run game going. We have to see a better Najee Harris. We have to see more Jalen Warren. We have to see better play design for runs. Maybe more tight ends will help with that. You know, maybe Pat Fryermuth going outside and pulling a linebacker against a slot receiver with Pat Fryermuth, with uh, Zach Gentry still inside. Maybe that's key to improving this run defense, run offense. Who knows? We'll see. I think there is real hope. And I think the biggest hope lies in the fact that I think Kenny Pickett will be better after the bye week. George Pickens will be more involved. I expect Jalen Warren to be more involved. Connor Hayward to be more involved. And I expect the offense to have more success as they face a lot of teams with weaker defenses in this second half of the season. We'll see how much the improvement comes, how much improvement we see, and what that means for this team as the season goes on. But there is real hope that the Steelers' offense will not be this bad in the second half. Take a short commercial break here. Thank you for listening for the first half. Come back 
after the commercial break, and we'll be talking about the Steelers' defense. Welcome back, Steeler fans. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. You're listening to The Cutting Room Floor. The Cutting Room Floor is brought to you, as always, by BehindTheSteelCurtain.com and Behind the Steel Curtain's family of podcasts. I want to talk to you about one of the other shows uh, on this podcast that normally comes out the same day my show comes out. If you're listening to this, uh, you'll also get today The Steeler's Fix. On The Steeler's Fix, Jeremy Betts and Andrew Wilbar talk about all kinds of things. Mostly they talk about ways to fix the Steelers. Uh, they are two draft guys. They love college football. They, they're breaking down the draft for us every year. They, they do a big part in running our big board every year. They talk about the Steelers in terms of the future. If you're sitting here looking at this season and saying, man, Jeff, you're talking about hope for the second half. I don't see it. The Steelers fix is going to be a show for you. Those guys talk about what players need to go, what players need to stay. They'll they'll talk to you about the draft prospects. People ask me about draft prospects. I'm like, I don't know. You have to talk to me. Like after the draft, I'll break down the players the Steelers pick. I don't watch much college football. I don't get into the draft much. Uh, but they do very heavily. They also get into uh, fantasy football stuff. It's a great show, especially. If you're a little dismayed on this season and sitting there thinking, you know, I, I'm already looking forward to next year and hoping the Steelers can turn around and do something different than what we've seen this year, then the Steelers fix is for you. Here on the cutting room floor, we spent the first half talking about hope for the offense, where I think there is a lot of hope for this team to get better. Obviously, it's hard to imagine being worse than the 32nd team in scoring uh, per drive. That's per possession. That's pretty bad uh, with the number of turnovers they have and everything. It's just bad. The Steelers' defense has a different hope. The Steelers' offense hopes that you see development from rookies, George Pickens, Kenny Pickett, Connor Hayward, Jalen Warren. That's where the Steelers' offense is kind of looking for some spark and some improvement. The Steelers' defense is going to go around a few veteran players, but mostly the return of Trent Jordan Watt. T.J. Watt was an absolute game wrecker last season, has been since really he came here and started improving. Uh, he, he has been something else. He's been incredible. But tied the sack record, the official sack record, I should say, and one defensive player of the year last year. And in the Steelers' first game, the Steelers' defense was dominant. The front was dominant. The, they created turnovers. We haven't seen that since that game because we haven't seen T.J. Watt since week one. T.J. Watt returns, and all of a sudden, the defensive backs don't have to cover as long. The other defensive players on the front don't have to worry so much about breaking through that line and creating pressure for themselves. Uh, Alex Highsmith isn't going to be the main focus of, of throwing help defense at an edge rusher. He won't. 
And if you remember, he had three sacks in the first week. T.J. Watt's return will mean a lot of good for Alex Highsmith, Cameron Hayward, Larry Ogunjobi. When quarterbacks scramble to get away from T.J. Watt, they often run into defensive linemen. This entire front, their stats will be better with T.J. Watt back. Now, obviously, this is... This is all determined by T.J. Watt's health. We need him to be back. We need him to be 100%. We need him to stay healthy. We need him to stay healthy. That's a big deal. That's the the biggest deal. It's arguable to say that if T.J. Watt comes back and plays the second half of this season and the Steelers' offense doesn't improve, this team could still get to 500 simply because of the difference T.J. Watt makes in the game overall. I mean, I've, I've talked about it before, but there were times in 2021 where it was almost like the defense was just handing the ball straight to Chris Boswell. They were like, all right, we got you the ball in field goal range. We know the offense isn't going to do anything with it, but at least give us a field goal. We could see that. We could see that again. Even if the offense doesn't improve, we could see them just being like, the other team doesn't score, and we hand the ball to Chris Boswell. You know, we, we that's that's a method for winning in the NFL. Uh, and the Steelers have done their share of it. We could see some wins purely from that. If the offense improves, this team could end up, oh my gosh, could they, they could end up 9-7. and seven. They're 2-6 and six right now. Could they go 7-1 and one in the second half? Yeah. If this offense can score 20 points a game, oh my gosh, crazy, right? Crazy. Let's let's say the defense sets them up for at least six of those points, right? Can they get the other ones and get this team to 20 points a game? I think they could. And if they're scoring 20 points a game with this defense that we could have if the players healthy now stay healthy and TJ Watt returns and is impactful and stays healthy, this team could push for a 9-7 and seven record. And that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous to think that a team starting two and six could end with a winning season. But as we've learned in the past, you can't rule out any team that has Trent Jordan Watt healthy on it. You just can't. And when you also consider the Baltimore Ravens are five and three and have to play the Steelers twice more, and a lot of their tougher opponents are still ahead of them, nine and seven could be pushing close to winning the division. Now that I've talked crazy enough to you, now that I've talked crazy, legitimately crazy there for a minute, let's tamper down. <laughs> you know, that's unrealistic. The Steelers going uh, to go 9-8. and eight. Yeah, not 9-7, and 9-8. and eight. I forgot, I'm forgetting the 17th game here, even as I'm thinking about it. Uh, the Steelers have to go 7-2 and two the rest of the way. And I think that's feasible with a slightly improved offense and the return of a healthy Trent Jordan-Watt. But even if they can't do that, if they can get back to 7-10 and 10 even, stuff like that, that's very doable for this team with a healthy T.J. Watt. 5-4 and four the second half, I think... It is not at all out of the question. I think the Steelers could go 5-4 and four in the second half with the team they currently have without T.J. Watt, simply because the schedule gets easier. 
with TJ Watt, this team could be very dynamic. We're especially, I'm looking for hope in the second half for the defense. As TJ Watt returns, we're going to see Alex Highsmith putting up numbers again. He has become a very good player, but with Malik Reed on the other side, there's no real threat there. You know, he's not a real pass rush threat on the other side. TJ Watt returns. That's the that's the absolute opposite of the spectrum. That's the best help you could hope to have on that side. Alex Highsmith could very quickly be running away in some statistic categories if other teams continue to focus on TJ Watt. And if they worry about Alex Highsmith, oh man, I just want you to think about TJ Watt when teams start saying, well, we can't focus too much on TJ. We have to stop Alex Highsmith. <laughs> just think about that for a moment. Have a good chuckle. Uh, and let's look forward to the second half. <laughs> the linebacker play gets a lot better with TJ Watt. There's a lot less uh, of them being asked to stay in coverage for longer periods of time, which is where linebackers really don't do well. Uh, it's harder to exploit Miles Jack in zone coverage if the play ball, if the ball has to be thrown quickly. A lot of the times they're getting completions on Miles Jack. Uh, because they'll get him into a zone in the middle, and they'll run two guys at him, and as he worries about them, a third guy hits his zone, and that guy's wide open. You know, those kind of attacks don't work as well when you simply don't have time for the play to develop. You simply don't have it. And with T.J. Watt, you, you don't have time. You never do. The Steelers' safeties have been a big strength this year. Terrell Edmonds has, has really played well. Minka Fitzpatrick has been Minka Fitzpatrick. He's not quite as impactful. He doesn't get the turnovers when T.J. Watt's not in. He doesn't get as many because teams have times to look, locate Minka Fitzpatrick, and find something else. When they're under pressure, they're, less, they're more likely to force a throw without first making sure Minka Fitzpatrick isn't there isn't moving that direction. You know, you're you're just making whatever throw looked the best at the moment because you're in a hurry. You don't have time. And so Minka Fitzpatrick gets more turnovers that way. Also in the secondary, we have the upcoming return of DeMonte Kazi, who we haven't seen yet. DeMonte Kazi looks to be a big boost to the Steelers' defense. What we've seen so far this season is Terrell Edmonds has been really good in the box. In coverage, against the run, uh, help tackling against in the run game, help tackling against other uh, short passes. Terrell Edmonds has been very good there. He's also solid in deep coverage, but he's never going to be in a real interception threat. He's more a coverage threat in the secondary. And he moves quickly enough that when he's in deep zone, he limits gains. He limits a lot of gains to keep them from getting to 20 yards and stuff like that. DeMonte Kazi is a natural center fielder. Uh, I wouldn't put him quite on the level of Minka Fitzpatrick in single high zone defense, but that's his specialty. Minka Fitzpatrick, that's not his best usage. That is DeMonte Kazi. That's what he does best. He's that center fielder type of defensive back. Minka Fitzpatrick, we have seen, has been brilliant playing in shorter zones, uh, playing the robber role, moving around, causing havoc. He can't do that when he is the deep middle defender. You have to be the back end of the defense. You have to keep the play in front of you. 
When Minka Fitzpatrick isn't there, he's allowed to be much more creative. Demonte Kazee, to me, means we're going to see the Steelers be more creative, move Minka Fitzpatrick around, and still have an interception threat deep. I think we'll see him a lot in nickel and dime situations. I would not be surprised to see uh, the Steelers go with three safeties in nickel simply because their other nickel backs haven't been that great. When we do get to cornerbacks, we've seen Akella Witherspoon up and down this season. We've seen Levi Wallace kind of bounce around up and down. He's had his strengths and his struggles. Cameron Sutton's been kind of solid throughout. It's, it's Cameron Sutton. As long as he's not facing someone really good, Cameron Sutton is going to be all right. Uh, Cameron Sutton's major problems come when he's facing a true number one wide receiver, a Jamar Chase type. He's just not cut out for that. Anyone else he can handle. Any, any, you know, you, you drop down a few tiers from the very top end of the NFL wide receiver position, and Cameron Sutton's fine, which is why he's a good number two cornerback. Most teams don't have two guys at that level. Cameron Sutton will be okay. Adding to that cornerback room, William Jackson III is a bit of a wild card. He is not a zone cover guy. He is a man cover corner. He's played in the slot. He's played outside. He was well known for shadowing Antonio Brown early in his career. And he has played for Terrell Austin. 2018, one of his very best seasons was with Terrell Austin as his defensive coordinator in Cincinnati. He returns to play with Terrell Austin again. That could be a benefit. We could see good play from William Jackson III and good usage of him as some as the defense coordinator. Clearly, was I think was it's pretty clear he had to be involved in this acquisition. Uh, at least signed off on it and said, yeah, yeah, definitely go get that guy. It's quite possible he was fighting for him and saying, hey, come on, let's go get this guy. He could really help us. But also as a man cover corner who at times has been the kind of guy who can give you decent coverage against a number one corner. Similar to what the Steelers got from Joe Hayden. 2017 on, Joe Hayden wasn't the same guy. He wasn't, there was no Hayden Island at that point in his career. But he gave you a guy who could man cover with help a higher end receiver. If William Jackson can be that kind of player, then this Steelers defense might be even better because Brian Flores excelled when he had man cover corners. We haven't seen much Brian Flores influence on the Steelers team because the Steelers team, once they put the third defensive back on the field, really has to go to zone coverage. They just don't have the man cover power. That could change. With the return of Akella Witherspoon, hopefully he gets healthier, gets better, uh, and, and finds his game again. Or, in worst case, comes in in nickel and dime sets where he can be a deep coverage specialist and not have to worry about playing up and being more and being a complete corner. That's where he usually struggles. If we can get that kind of situation with William Jackson the third in there, we're getting quicker pressure. You know, quarterbacks are being forced to throw quicker. All of a sudden, those blitzes that Brian Flores loves to dial up become much more threatening. Because when the when the offense can't cover your four-man rush and you can add in five, a fifth, 
Now you are really limiting what they can do. You're really forcing them to throw quick or to bring more players in, in which case you have fewer actual threats running routes. That's to me where the real potential for improvement and a really big second half for the Steelers and their defense comes in. If TJ Watts return and the addition of William Jackson III can add up to enough improvement in man coverage that the Steelers can really get creative with their blitzes. So now you see TJ Watt, you see Alex Highsmith, you see Cameron Hayward, you see Larry Ogunjobi, but you don't always know who's coming from where and who else is adding in. And you're trying to switch and you're trying to pick up blitzes and TJ Watt all of a sudden is splitting a double team because one guy's trying to switch off and cover an interior blitz and another guy's trying to pick him up and you simply can't do that to TJ Watt and have success. I think the second half of the Steelers season, we could see the Steelers team that we were hoping to see this season. I think that's still on the table after a very disappointing and rough first half. The team we were hoping to see could still be there. There's a lot of ifs here. There's a lot, and they're not all going to come up. But if a significant number do, this team is going to be significantly better. Now, to end this show, I want to rank, in my opinion, uh, the factors and the possibilities for improvement that will have the most impact in order. Number one, absolutely unequivocally, the return of a healthy T.J. Watt. Number one by far. That alone could flip the record from being badly in the losses column to being a lot of wins. My second one is the improvement between Kenny Pickett and Deontay Johnson. I don't think there's a high chance of it happening, but if we see that relationship turn into a pairing that is decent, I mean, even if you go from if you go from 4.4 yards per target to 6, or maybe 6.5 yards per target, which is not good, that's still a significant increase in a yards per play basis for this team. That means shorter third downs, more makeable third downs, more conversions, longer drives, just on that alone. Number three, increased use of George Pickens, increasing his routes, increasing his him getting the bump from a rookie, non-main starter to begin the year, uh, at his after the bye week bump, like we saw with the Juju Smith Schuster, like we saw with the Chase Claypool, we saw with Deontay Johnson. Uh, if he has that kind of a bump, that's my number three possibility for improvement. Number four, the addition of Demonte Kazi, solidifying the secondary and letting and letting Minka Fitzpatrick do even more and boost, giving us a boost in our nickel and dime packages as well. After that. I'm going to go with increased two tight end usage. I think the, the the three wide receiver sets are not the best for this team, especially for Matt Canada's offense. I believe when things look, we're sticking with Matt Canada. I think his offense is better with two tight ends to begin with. Uh, the Steelers just happen to have three really talented wide receivers, and that position still wasn't producing. Dropping that to two receivers, putting Zach Gentry on the field, I think we'll see a better offense. 
I honestly think this offense is better uh, with Zach Gentry on the field and Chase Claypool off it at this point. And that is not a knock on Chase Claypool. I think Chase Claypool is a really good receiver. If you took, if you said we were going to keep Chase Claypool and, De- and George Pickens and get rid of Deontay Johnson, I would still say that with Chase Claypool and George Pickens and Zach Gentry, I think we would see a better offense. The wide receivers just have not been producing. Uh, and, and that's not just on them. That's on the system. That's on the whole offense. That's on having a rookie quarterback. There's a lot of factors in there. Uh, I would I would blame first and foremost the offensive coordinator for that, but I still think that with either Chase Claypool or Deontay Johnson, one of them off the field and Zach Chentry on it, the offense is better. The Steelers chose to trade Chase Claypool, got a second round pick for him, and I think the offense could be better for it. Again, not because of the players, but the situation and the and the and the scheme that they're in. Those are my main main looks for improvement. I, I, would, I would put William Jackson the third last. I don't think that is as likely to produce good results, but there's always hope. Uh, but we'll see. The key is that moving into this second half, the Steelers have significant opportunities to improve and reason to believe that they will. Reason for Steeler fans to have hope that this team will be better than it was. I want to thank you for listening to the show today. Uh, Thank you for all the times you come and listen. Make sure you're checking out all the other shows on the Behind the Steel Curtain family of podcasts, especially the Steelers Fix with Jeremy Betts and Andrew Wilbar. As always, have a great week and let's go Steelers. Steelers.